Hello, everyone, and welcome to the TSMU Q&A series. I'm your host, Mark Hubbard, uh, where I'm here for the third time. Super excited to be here for the third time, so thanks TSM and TSMU for having me back. Today, I'm extremely excited to be joined by Jack Kayser, also known as Kays. Uh, I have to go ahead and preface before we get rolling in, uh, Jack, with your intro, how excited I am to be here. I've been a follower <laughs> of Jack for, for many years now. Um, so really excited to, for everyone to get this opportunity to dive deep into, into his career, his origin stories, and uh, get some really great advice. Just as a reminder for everyone, uh, for this Q&A, we will be pulling questions from the TSMU Discord. So if you have any question uh, you want to ask Jack, then head on over to discord.gg slash TSMU and ask your questions in the Ask Stream Questions Here channel. Did everything that we could to make it as straightforward as possible. Once you've asked your question, join the Waiting Room Voice channel uh, and wait to be selected to join us on the show. So, Jack, while people go ahead and get their questions in, why don't you go ahead and give a little bit of an introduction yourself and tell us a little bit about your role at TSM. Sure. Um, I'm Jack Kayser, uh, originally from Houston. I have a background in math, uh, finance, and statistics. Uh, I've been in esports for about five years now, maybe four and a half, pushing five years. And then my role at TSM is I'm the current strategic coach and head scout. Um, basically, I do I help Parth, who's the GM, with a lot of player analysis and player modeling. And then I also do like all of our scouting for our upcoming matches. And I basically come up with a game plan of how we should be approaching opponents. And then I also assist Soren and Curry in like the strategic development of the team and like what we should be focusing on. So that's the current role. I also, also, I assist the academy and amateur coaches with concepts. So as like they teach the players, those concepts will just progress into the LCS. You, you have a ton that's falling directly under your umbrella. I mean, uh, esports, you're wearing a lot of hats. So you got to, this is how it rolls. <laughs> that's right. Well, Jack, I'm not going to keep too long with the intros here. There are questions pouring in for us. Uh, so if you're, if you're ready, I'm going to go ahead and kick it off with the first question. Go for it. Cool. So for, for the first one, we have Fer Delance, and they ask, what advice would you give anyone looking to get into the professional esports world? Any advice I would give to someone entering the professional esports world? Um, the way I view esports is it's an industry. So very similar to if you're trying to get into movies, you need to first develop a skill set that can also be applicable in esports and then apply or create a portfolio and reach out to the teams or apply for an open position with that said skill set. And then you can kind of break in that way if you're good enough and break through the interview process. That so, with, be, yeah, go ahead. That would no, be an answer. Yeah. Sure. yeah. So, so, in your case, what, so when you were working to break in, what did you find that was your skill set? How'd you kind of make that marketable? What, what did you kind of do to drive your skill set to be a value piece for, for sure. organizations? Um, I got in like five years ago. So, it's a little bit different in today's ecosystem, but the way I viewed it, the way I got in is I created a portfolio. Um, I did like math calculations on builds, like build calculations. And then I created scouting documents for the lowest barrier to entry place. My first org I worked for was Direwolves in Australia that spoke English. So I just created reports for those teams, reached out, got picked up by an Australian team that way because it's there. there's a demand for that. So it's if you just offer it for free, that's how I broke in basically. Sure. Well, Fertilance, thanks a ton for the question. Uh, and with that, Jack, we actually have our, our first voice caller for today. So we'll go ahead and bring on in, uh, I believe, Panda Turtles coming on in. So Panda Turtle, welcome. What a name. Yeah, I, th I think Panda Turtle's a repeat offender, too. I think you've been on here before, right? I have. 
Awesome. Well, fire away, Panda Turtle. Um, so my question was, I was curious how important context was when it came to like scouting a team, like whether or not I could take, for example, if a team strength was like top lane compared to if a team strength or weakness was top lane, like how important that was for like scouting. Uh, yeah, that's pretty important. I think whenever you're scouting for an opponent, I think this is the biggest mistake analysts make is you have to take your own team's strengths into into account when creating a report that should be used. Um, mm -hmm. Like, for example, if you're a bottom-centric team, like, say you're a Team Liquid from 2018 or 2019, whenever it was, like, play through doublelift, uh, mm -hmm. you wouldn't, even if, like, opponent, the opposition's top laner would be, like, not the best player, I would never say, like, okay, let's go play through top, and that wouldn't be the primary win, con or win condition or point of emphasis. Interesting. Um, thank you. Did for I answer your, your question fully, or? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Panda, you got anything else you want to tack onto that? Feel free. Um, while we got you on. Uh, I guess I was curious about um, when it comes to like um, improving a team. I was curious, like when you're practicing, is it sometimes important to like um, like balancing between like making sure that you're doing like practice for how you would play and like practice for like having a good practice session as well. I don't know if I answered that properly or not though. I think um, you have to, one, a large part of practice is figuring out the patches because they do patch the game a lot. Mm -hmm. So figuring out which champions are strong, which champions fit with us, our play style. Mm -hmm. um, but also we do have pointed or improvement focuses in practice as well. So it's a combination of both, I would say. Okay, okay. Well, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Panda. Appreciate it, and welcome back. So, all right, Jack, so we do have another one uh, to get ready to tee up for you in the chat. Um, before, before we jump over to that, I do want to ask you a follow-up to Panda, because I, I think they asked a very fantastic question. Uh, you mentioned context and how important the context of the team is when you're making decisions. Uh, today, right, especially when you're looking on social media, draft. People talk about winning and losing draft constantly. Do you take the team context into account when you determine who wins and loses a draft or is that perspective of the game a purely objective from what's picked in band i think this is like one of the larger community misconceptions like a lot of analysts or twitter analysts like to just assume like okay this draft is winning this draft is winning but you really have to look at the the, the roster and the player's ability on that roster like obviously a high skill cap composition if the players are good enough there's like an objectively better draft but you have to look at the team and those players and what works best for that teams which i think is a large there's like all i see all over twitter where there's never a discussion about the roster and can they actually pull off these said better drafts that's a cool experiment or to talk about but it's just not for people that have worked on the inside of teams it's really not that realistic for teams to be able to play all all the champions and be able to pick them up that quickly. So there's a lot more nuance that goes into that versus just yeah, hey, just... This, this matchup wins. Yeah, exactly. Okay, perfect. Well, we'll, we'll keep it on. Uh, we'll keep it on rolling then. So we have uh, another question from uh, Kieran. Kieran, am I saying that correctly? Yeah, you are saying it right. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, no problem, Kieran. Fire away for Jack. 
Yeah, thank you. Yeah, good to good to be speaking to you. I know I've sent you a couple of uh, messages over DM as well, Jack. So excited to, to hear what you have to say tonight. And my question is kind of going back to your career. Obviously, you've been on Direwolves and Team Sky, and then you've gone to some of the more the elite teams that people know of. And now obviously you're on TSM. And my question is, what would you say separates just those good players for those in inverted inverted kind of quotation marks from those who are at the very elite levels? You know, like the the double lifts and the people who are seen as these these elite level players compared to maybe those slightly lower down? I mean, that's a very <laughs> complex question to answer because I've, I've worked with a lot of great players and there's different strengths for each of them. One, the one strength that you have to go with, that they have to enjoy playing the game a lot and actually just constantly be thinking about the game, or at least that's what I found in like the top-end players. Um, like I've worked with Caps. He's like constantly thinking about the game even when, like, when he goes to sleep, even like Shurnfire is another example of this, like five years ago when I first worked with him. Um, back then, he was like, he constantly thought about the game. So I just think mainly that and work ethic as well. I mean, this, there's like a lot of different very good players. Some are better at team camaraderie. Some are better at keeping the mood light. Some are better at, like, for example, for top lane, like just knowing their matchups really well and being very clear with the coaching staffs about, okay, this is how this matchup should play out. Um, so I think it's a lot of things. I um, hope I answered that. But um, the main two would be playing the game a lot and actually enjoying it and then um, being committed. I think that commitment to the game is really important. Um, and then also just obviously raw talent uh, and ability. So. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And a, a quick follow-up from me. I know I mentioned to you, I'm going to have a couple of my players in here from, from our collegiate team. What's kind of one piece of advice that you'd like to give them? Because I know they have big aspirations. They want to achieve great things. What's the, the one lesson you, you'd give to them? Mm, one lesson to collegiate players. I would just say try and get as high-ranked up on the ladder as you can um, with varying champions and then also yeah that's that, that i think that's the best way for any player to get recognized by an organization is just try and get as high ranked as possible but also if you do well collegiately um or in the collegiate system then you should it you should we can also get recognized that way with the new like promise proving grounds format that riot's releasing um so um that would be my suggestion. Thank you. No, it makes my job easier because now they know what they've got to do. So I really appreciate it. And there's like tons of resources as well. Like if they need to, like they don't know where to start to start, like where they need to start improving. I would also look for, I would start just watching a lot of ProView or there's other professionals like on YouTube that have like the POVs. I would watch a lot of like their role specific VODs and try and see if they can pick up just tendencies that those players do and see if they can add it to their gameplay. Perfect. Thank you. That, that's really going to help me out because I'm going to use that stuff now as well. So, no, yeah, I really appreciate it. And thank you both for your time. And, um, yeah, good luck for the rest of your Q&A. Have a good one, Kieran. Thanks, Kieran. Thank Thanks for joining. Appreciate that. All right. So now uh, Jack will roll right back into uh, some text questions for you. So next one up, we have tax evasion. So tax evasion, another, that's a, that is a regular uh, for these questions. I love that they keep them rolling. So tax evasion says, we all know that friendship is OP, 
But how do you determine what player will be a good fit uh, with a team, both in terms of personality and play style? Since you know everyone won't fit together perfectly, how does the team try to go about that? So it sounds like a culture-based question. How are you assessing that? Uh, The first thing I look for when joining an org generally is the coaching staff. I think if you have a good coaching staff, you should be able to manage a lot of players. I don't... I don't think many players are that toxic to the point where it's unbearable. Um, so the first thing I really look for is mainly talent. Do they have the skill actually to join the or, or join the team? And usually if I, I you, ideally you want to have a roster that all speaks the same language, but if not, like for example, we have a uh, sword art who speaks, he's, he's pretty good at English. Um, so the, I mainly just look at the talent of the player and then, if you're on a, if you're with a good group of coaching staffs that the players respect, like Soren, Curry, myself, like or other coaching staffs I've been on, like Young Buck, Dylan, me, Andre, me, um, like Grabs, there's Nelson. There's a lot of existing good coaching staffs. But the main thing I look for when joining an org is having a good coaching staff because then you can manage the talent that you want to actually acquire, I think. Um, and you should be able to make it work. So I think the talent is the most important thing, not as much the personality mix. But it, obviously, having a good team environment makes everything way easier. Um, so, but it's just uh, it kind of kind of make sure to capture this. So you think like for for the most part, a, a solid coaching staff can manage what could be personality conflicts effectively enough if the talent is there. Yeah, that's what I think. And okay. I think, yeah, I that's mean, there's. It's a lot of history of teams that have had bad team environments, but if you had the right, if they're good enough at the game, that usually you can make it work. But also, you you still need to take into the personalities some, like like for example, um, like Xerxes is a good example from Origin, where he was really good at keeping the mood light and f- fun. So having that being a part, because you're spending so much time with the team, having someone that also can talk and just make a joke is sometimes always needed on a team, at least one person. Like, Hooney is like that for us this year, where he keeps the mood light. So I think having, like, a joyous personality is also a huge benefit to teams. So it's not just about skill. If you have that as well, it's a huge bonus. But generally, I don't only... You don't want to have five players that are just super toxic but or have, like, a negative personality. But generally, I don't think that's the base. A lot of the play, professional players aren't like that anyways. There might be, like, a couple... But you should the, the good coaching staff should be able to make it work, in my opinion. Okay, uh, so I guess um, how important then do you think are to just attack on as an additional one for tax evasion? A lot of those things, right, like personality traits, culture fit, that that stuff you cannot put on a stat sheet, right? I'm imagining yeah. your world exists on a lot of stat sheets. Do you have a way you go about assessing any of those things, or is it just a, it is a personal thing? I think it's just a rigorous interview process, and then you also. Like I know we also we will go reach out to their previous teammates or coaching staffs, managements of those orgs to see how that player is and how he operates. So I think that's that's mainly done in the interview process and then also checking with references. Okay. That's basically Perfect. the best way we found. I like it. Tax evasion. Hope that uh hope that tackled it pretty well for you. Uh I've got <clears throat> got another one teed up here, Jack. So I'm going to totally mess up your name, friend, and I'm so sorry. Uh, Shantike, Shantike. Uh, They ask, managing, coordinating, and analyzing an esports team is a really complicated process and with with a lot of moving parts. 
Given the team's recent 3-0 success last weekend, where do you say where do you think you've seen the most improvement in this team and where do you think the team needs to continue to improve? Um the most improvement from the team is just general playing together like at the beginning we had five new players, all new staff like it was so it's a complete we had to blend a lot of our pre-existing knowledge together. Um the biggest improvement I would say is just how how we operate uh, or how we like cycle the map in the mid and early game. But now we're like more tailoring it towards team fights because the meta is so suited towards that. So we're making that a major priority going into summer because that's, we actually think that's why we lost um, the TL um, in the mid season showdown. Mm-hmm. So we're more so going to tailor it, tailoring that to our fighting and trying to improve at that. Gotcha. I love, I love it. Uh, Shantiki, thank you so much for the, for the LOL specific question, man. I've, or first, I absolutely love that. Uh, so we do have another text question coming up, Jack. Uh, so this one comes from Drippy. Drippy, uh, give, me, give me a second. It's a lot. So <clears throat> look, Drippy is looking to leave college with a master's degree in business analytics. So what would you say are some essentials coming from an analytics data science focused program that are necessary to get you noticed by analytics departments at esports? So this this could be like an understanding of certain econometrics econ- terms, software commonly used in your work, et cetera. And they also said, uh, good luck, good luck. So Good luck. It, it really <laughs> depends what role you're, you want to apply for. I would say mm-hmm. being able to build out databases and use Riot's uh, API and code help a lot. We also have uh, Blitz who does this for us as well. Um, so that also helps. But I would just mainly saying be able to, being able to manipulate uh, Riot's coding. If you're trying to get into the competitive side, um, I think esports has a long way to go in actually using data appropriately because Riot does, or the publishers, you do have all the control in most, most cases. Um, but if you're trying to break into the business side, I would just, I don't have as much knowledge on the business side, but I would probably say apply, just apply to a job opening if you want to work in partnerships or something like this with like a, a deck of like, like a, a basically a deck of like metrics of like interactions or something. It really depends what kind of job you're trying to get into, per se, and then tailor your portfolio to that. So, so are know. there any? You said your background is in is in math, correct? Yes, that's where you have. So, for obviously, massive amount of analysis that goes into that. A lot of logical thinking, um, yeah. critical reasoning skills. So, now that you're in the job, are there are you guys Excel, Google Sheets, um, SLI? Are there any softwares in particular you find most important? Are there any co- programming languages you might use to make your day to day more efficient for looking through stat sheets? Anything yeah. like that? Yeah, I mean, I use mainly my math degree to do math on builds. We have a data analyst, Tatham, who mm-hmm. handles a lot of our back end programming. He uses JavaScript, Java. Um, C++, Python, he uses all of it. Um, so I would say mainly JavaScript because you want to have it available on online database so you can actually use it anywhere in the world generally because um, like eSports is a traveling venue and JavaScript is the coding language that you use to build it out on on a web server. I would say a web server is the most applicable. Um, but he, we used Google Sheets mainly in NA um, mm-hmm. and it works pretty well. Okay. The highly collaborative being able to be on all the time, pretty important from the Google Sheets and a big yeah. value piece, I'm guessing. Yeah, we have like Hatham, that's like his whole job is to manage the database system. I used to be a data analyst years ago. Um I'm glad I'm not anymore. But uh we have him handling that, so it's really nice. Well and Drippy, the beautiful part of that is 
right biggest esports org who just signed the largest deal in esports history, Google Sheets, free piece of software or web-based software you can access in something as simple as a Chromebook. Yeah. So uh, I like Excel yeah. more, but Excel isn't isn't available online. You have to bring it physically with like your laptop or you can share it, but it's still not as not as accessible. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, so there you go. There you go, Drippy. Access right to the inside there. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna keep rolling then, Jack. So we have another one. They're they're just pouring on in here. So Hurricane Seven US Seven Seven US Seven. Sorry, Hurricane. I'm sure I'm messing that up. Uh, but Hurricane asks, when the meta shifts and your players need to learn new champions, do you have them play those champions a lot in solo queue, or are there certain resources that you use to help them figure out a champion in their playstyle? Solo queue, one-on-ones, 2v2s with our amateur and academy teams. And then also, if they really need help learning the champion, then we will assist them with like finding VODs of other professional players playing it at a high level. But pr- main, primarily, it's through solo queue um, practice before they can try it in scrims. But sometimes we let them try it in scrims regardless. Uh, because sometimes if a new champion comes out, it just constantly gets banned. So, makes sense. So, hey, for for like if you're if we're giving this advice to a coach, so Hurricane, not sure if you're a coach or not, but uh, if you're giving this advice to a coach, how do you go about the the strategy, like working that new champion into the strategy? Do you ideally already have a way that you, as an analyst or part of the coaching staff, want that champion played with the rest of the team? Do you I guys think- work on that together? Or do you look to other regions? How how do you go about finding that inspiration? Um, usually when Riot Riot releases a champion, it kind of has a Similar place out of other champions, for example, Viego, the way it trades and operates, operates very similar to Silas. Um, there's champions that kind of fit a similar model, like or a similar subset of skills. So usually whenever Riot releases a champion, you can kind of already tell, um, unless, it's, unless it's something that's like a multi-flex flick, but that's, it's generally predetermined. And then in solo queue, you can kind of figure it out. Um, there's no like super strategy to figure out new new champion combinations other than other than just what we found is just practicing and trying it um and then if you see it we also monitor the other the korean solo queue and european solo queue to see if there's any anyone playing a certain build or a certain we monitored like to see if anything new is popping up and then if we see something new we'll suggest it to maybe try or theory craft so is there a lot of theory crafting that goes on on your side of the role I mean, we I do a lot of build stuff, so we are constantly mapping out builds, and especially Tristan Poe, he is always asking me for like build calculations on like some wild builds sometimes. Um, Who can just, forget an Asher's Tooth Oriana? Who can forget it? Well, that that one was his his own, but <laughs> um, there are some that we we do check the damage on in like a lot of common situations in the game. So an example of this would be the Rift Maker. Oriana build, mm-hmm. um, we would we would, we we did the math on it and it's pretty comparable to uh, Ludens, and basically if in like certain game situations this build might be better than this other build, so it's it's more so on that like in terms of items, but in terms of physical champions, it does not not as much, but it's more so just practicing and then monitoring the other regions to see if it's popping up because we also do monitor the other competitive regions like we we have a whole sheet of what other regions are playing so 
So, and then one other thing I'll just tack on to Hurricane's question. So I, I heard you mention like the specifically new champion release. All the advice you just kind of gave out, is it the same for when just the meta dramatically shifts and either pushes existing champions in and out of the meta? Same sort of advice there? Yes, very, very similar. But usually like these players, at least at the LCF level, have been playing the game for so long that they know how those champions operate more or less. So it's it sometimes it doesn't take that long to pick up those champions because they played them like in the past. Um, so yeah, at the LCS level, that's at least how it operates. Okay. All right, and so the Hurricane, thanks a ton for for the question there. Uh, Jack, we're just gonna keep it going. Okay. Uh, so for the next one, we have. Uh, Elemen, Elemen, I, I'm so sorry if I pronounced your name incorrectly, but Elemen asks, hello, her que their question is, how can they join TSM? What's needed? What are the requirements? And if, uh, and if joining implies being too active? Not entirely sure, Elemen, what's meant by that, but I, I'll kind yeah. of assume, like, yeah, I, we'll take it from, does it, does it require a massive amount of activity prior to joining, I guess? So uh, being very active in the community, active in, in whatever title you're looking to chase, uh, whether it's influencer, analyst, whatever it is, uh, any any sort of advice there for breaking into TSM as an org? I would say, as I said in the beginning, having a skill set already helps a lot, um, and or at least going to school for something, and then like looking at the internships that we we might this this actually TSMU might be providing, um, but also I would yeah, it's just it's like an industry, so you having an existing skill set and then just applying as a job opening opens. Um, or you can also, it, the better you are at networking, the easier it is to know when job openings happen because sometimes they don't get published. Um, so if you just can build up like a portfolio and then even if you don't work for like one of the tier one orgs, cause it's like the tier one orgs, usually they're pretty hard to break into initially, but there's like a lot of orgs where it's like, where you could reach out and get a job in esports, get connected and then move your way up. Like, I don't think anyone just starts off at TSM or starts off at like one of the top orgs initially, or at least that's not the most common path, um, unless you have already a big skill set that's transferable. Like how I started off, I went to Oceania, then Europe, then back to NA, then back to Europe, now back to NA. Um, but it's really hard to break into the tier one orgs, I would say, without any, any type of experience, but you can maybe break in with like as an intern to start it off. It really just, it's, Pretty variable, but having a, a existing skill set is the main suggestion. Uh, I'm noticing one that between all of the interviews for TSMU that I, that I've watched and now have been able to conduct, I'm noticing one thing that's a kind of a common trait among all of you uh, is it seems like you all were willing to jump at just about any opportunity you really could to break in. I mean, moving to Australia is a really, really big move, right? That had to be pretty scary on some level. Yeah. You're, you're going to be an expat. I mean, there's no language barrier, right? But that's a that's a big deal. That's, that's, uh, that is a 16-hour flight, right? I mean, but yeah, I did it a lot when I was in college, and I worked remotely for the first half. Um, and I, the, I, I mean, I kind of knew. I, got, I wanted to get in before esports kind of exploded, and I kind of gave my whole parents like a full PowerPoint pitch deck on it to sell them on the idea, but it, yeah, it does take a little bit of faith or like a little bit of confidence in whatever you're doing. I think anyone in esports really does overall enjoy it and have a passion for it. So it makes it a little bit easier from my experience, at least. And you mentioned, so I, this is the second time I think I've heard you really drive passion earlier was in 
uh, in reference to players, right? You were saying the play, the best players that you've worked with, they eat, sleep, breathe League of Legends, right? Where do you fall in that camp? Is that another piece that's been very essential for your success and your breaking into the tier one orgs? Like, are you eat, sleep, breathing League of Legends? Uh, where, where, where do you fall on that scale? It, it really does depend during the season. I used to, when I first was starting out, I was basically, it was like a lot of hours, like a crazy amount of hours. Now I do the last thing I want to do when I have off time, which is very seldom in esports, is watch video games. I like going outside. But for it, during season, like because we have now three games a weekend, I have to do the match prep on it. So basically, my week is from like Tuesday to Sunday, and then we have Monday like half off off. Um, and it's a lot of hours on the weekends as well because you have to adapt the prep towards it. So it's a job that necessitates a lot of hours. And I, I gen when I first started, I did eat and sleep and breathe it. But as you have your base knowledge build up, um, you can you still have to watch a lot because you're still competing against a lot of other teams. So you're kind of forced to, I think. But Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Jack. Elliman, thank you so much for submitting your question. I hope we adequately captured it and got what you're looking for. So Jack, we'll have one more text question. Then we've got another one coming back for voice. So for yeah. questions, this next text one, we've got Jamie Morris. And Jamie asks... What's the what's the favorite play style that you like your team to have? More so, do you do you prefer to make plays that are mechanically difficult and more rewarding and less rewarding sure, versus less rewarding surefire plays? So, is there any mm -hmm. any kind of like way to play the game that you tend to gravitate towards? I came up in like the I like one through I like whenever the game allowed for more playing the map wide and playing more like spread out one three one style that's a little bit of outdated term but the way riots patch the game is kind of forced a, like a team fight oriented style um but how i view the game generally i it, it i don't i don't mind high variance plays it's just it, it, it really does depend on your roster's ability to execute those type of plays um like going for high variance plays whenever you have a super high skill high mechanical team obviously that's good but if your team isn't like, for example, on Origin, every all the everyone's saying we should every team should play like G two. You have to understand not everyone has G 2s caliber of players, so that style might not be suited for that team. I think it really does come down to the roster you're working with, and not as much your personal preference. Um, you need to use your player strengths to develop the style. It can't be like a coach's style. Um, so. Amy, appreciate the spicy question. That was a really good one. Uh, Jack, we actually have returners, so Panda Turtle's coming right back up to talk with you a little bit more. Panda, welcome back. Appreciate you joining again. Hello. Um, I was really curious in learning about what would your advice be for learning how to do the math on different item builds? Um, I, my advice for it would be first... I understand how resistances work and like um and how it actually how to it's it's all online you could probably look up like this basic math calculator or basic like damage calculations mm -hmm. um and then i would just look at the common scenarios in game where where that like what are the most common trade patterns or trades that occur and what are like the item breakpoints that are really going to make a difference like okay second item should i build this or this um that would be my main answer, um, but the f the formula should all be readily available. It just it, it there are more like advanced ones you can do, like effective health, 
Um, that way, if you would want to, I can answer that in private. That, that would actually, I don't think anyone, I should answer that probably publicly, okay. but if you want to reach out to me privately, I'll give you a, okay. a more detailed answer on that. Um, thank you. Anything else, Panda, for, before we get you on for a third time, I'm sure? <laughs> I think <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Appreciate you turning in, Panda, and always appreciate the questions. So next up, Jack, uh, we'll, we'll jump on into ACMS questions. So ACMS asks, more on, the, more on the business side of esports is where they're curious. So they're seeing a lot of orgs raise millions of dollars. For example, the uh, TSM $210 million FTX deal. Uh, yeah. Where do you think that money is best used for, e for the esport brand? It's a tough mm. one. That is, that, is, that is a really tough one. That's a, that's uh, a tough Ace question. Is holding, yeah, Ace is holding your feet to the fire with that one. Uh, um, it really depends on what the org is pushing. Like what, what organization, like 100 Thieves has a different vision with how they want to use their money, I would assume. Um, TSM, I think it's it'll be used to expand and also keep up with like uh, roster expenses because that's probably the biggest expense they have. Um, it's a really complex question that varies per organization, I would say. I don't know if I would be qualified to give you an accurate <laughs> business development answer um, on each organization, but I would assume it, it would just be used for future development and mainly maybe revenue, like the, the parts of the business that gain revenue, maybe doubling down on that, but then also used for uh, the main expenses, which is usually roster and staffing. I'm sure you want to see it dumped right in there for those trophy cases, dad, to the cabinet, right? Would be ideal. Would be <laughs> ideal. Try to decorate those. I'll talk There's... to Parth. I will see what he says. But <laughs> yeah, that's a that that's a ace. That was that was a tough one. I appreciate it. I I'm sure TSM, uh, an org that prides themselves on the amount of winning they do across all esports, are gonna throw it at whatever they can to get more more of that bread. Even like content around it, like content around all the teams. That might be something the orgs are doing merch merchandising build outs you could also do like i've seen like my old org astralis just opened up like a pop-up store um in copenhagen with where they sell their like all their merchandise because they're like huge there so i think it probably does it really depends where they're trying to generate revenue i would presume and then use it to bootstrap that so it becomes a sustainable not as much as a startup but, but more of a sustainable business that's what that's what i would assume any startup a lot of esports orgs are more startups but any business should try and bolster that area but awesome ace appreciate it a lot i love the uh the high pressure questions there uh next we've got fertilance so fertilance asks uh i like a short and sweet to the point How'd you get to where you are now? So give us, a, if you can there, Jack, give us give us like your your origin story. How are you where you are? I know you touched on a little bit, put a yeah. little bit more depth to it for us. So yeah, I, I reached out to the Australian orgs, all, all the Australian top end orgs. I ended up joining Direwolves in 2017. Um, we made it to Worlds. So I flew to Worlds. We won both splits there. So, and then I, we flew to Worlds in China. I, before I flew to that event, which I came prepared with the scouting documents on Fnatic and Cloud9, already complete before even landing, um, on their opponents for the plans and for the plans, and then once we lost in China, I pitched it to the Fnatic coaching staff in the lobby while in China, and then I ended up just staying in China with Fnatic in 2017 for that event because they really liked my work. 
And then they, because I did this all for free still on Quick Fanatic. And then I ended up signing with them for 2018, which we did really well. 2018 Fanatic um, made World's Finals. And then after that, went to Team Liquid, then to Origin, now at TSM. I've been with TSM for like almost a year now. We're pushing a year. So it's been going pretty. That's how that, that was my basic origin stories for esports. Oh, okay. That, that was a. Uh... You hit that really quick, so let's take a little bit deeper of a dive just to just to make sure we get the the complete like the complete picture here for Fertilance. So you went to Australia, right? And then you made your pitch for strategy in the hotel lobby to Fnatic. The scouting documents. The scouting documents. Okay, so yeah, let's let, let's let's hit that for a little bit because that that's it's easy to look and be like, well, Jack K's, you're at a tier one org, but there. That takes some. That takes some gumption. That takes a lot of. Uh, yeah, I'm, a lot of confidence to go do. So I mean, the, the the better if you are like super confident in your work, it's a little, and and you're really good at networking. Once you get the opportunity, you're gonna move up faster through all the orcs. Um, but yeah, basically, I just came prepared with the scouting, all the documents complete, and I already I said what worst case scenario, what happens? They tell me no, and I'm like, okay, no big deal. I just go back to Houston. Um, or and stay with the Australian org or apply to other organizations. Best case scenario, I get to work with Fnatic in 2017 Worlds and how I have a European connection. And that's, and it basically, they just really, they, they, their staff was kind of, they had like, it was kind of just Dylan and then like a bunch of other analysts at the time. Um, so I just instantly just tried to add as much value while there in China. I could have had a holiday in China if I wanted to. Um, but so but before we jump away from Fertilance's question, there's another big thing you touched on. Um, a caller from the TSMU community asked uh, during my conversation with Dunk two weeks back. Um, you, you, you mentioned networking. Uh, and this this caller specifically, they asked, what's your advice for networking? Well, what do you do? Do you, I mean, do you drop in DMs? Are you checking LinkedIn? Like, where does this world, where do you do your networking? Because that's, that's important in every professional aspect. But for your world, where does that go on? Mainly did it in Twitter. Like, I, I, I messaged so many organizations on Twitter before getting picked up by Fanatic with, like, so many documents, so many videos, like my portfolio tailored towards that company um, with stuff that would easily, instantly they could use. Um, for their team, because that it's it's a basic demand. If you give them value, you can't just reach out with a cold resume and cover letter. You actually need to tailor your portfolio to that team slash job. Um, and then I would suggest working initially for free, because um, that's how you break in. So they don't have any risk. It's only upside. But I mainly just reached out all on Twitter. You can, there are some stuff you can go to, like seminars and all that, but I think for the most part, for at least for the competitive side, that there's not, no competitive stuff is really shared like that in like a group setting, but maybe for like the business development, I know like in normal sports, there's like a sports analytics conference that goes on all the time in the Northeast that Daryl Morey started. Um, so I think as esports progresses, there's going to be more and more of that that pops up. But But yeah, I would say mainly just esports mainly lives on Twitter. Um, and then it's still slowly progressing to LinkedIn. I also have a LinkedIn. Um, that's mainly for like talent agencies. Um, you kind of want to use LinkedIn to reach out. It's like, yeah, if you work, if you're mainly working with talent, the agents for the talent agencies will be on LinkedIn. So it really does vary which part of esports you're trying to get into. 
Um, so another, another piece there, uh, you talk, how many of those, so you did a lot of, I'm assuming Twitter DMing and a lot of emailing. Yeah. Like how almost to an annoying level, probably. <laughs> so um, well, rest in peace, your, your DM inbox after this. Yeah. Uh, like I, I, people have even like apologized to me that they didn't like answer me back now that I'm in the scene. So it's just like, cause like I didn't have any connections from, <laughs> I grew up in Houston. Like he, there's not esports in Houston. It's very, not many like maybe one or one or like Houston outlaws, but that's about the extent of, and that wasn't even there five years ago when I just got started. So. So yeah. How many, how many of those DMS went on red, like, or it went unread, unreplied to left on red. Was it how, uh, 50, most of them? Maybe, maybe 60. Like I would message the same, like multiple people in the organizations that were on the coaching staffs until I got a response. Um, and sometimes like, you don't want to message the top people. You want to message the assistants or the analysts, then they will usually forward it or at least give you an opinion. Um, and sometimes you don't even need to be asking to get picked up. You can just say, Hey, here's some of my previous work. I would love to hear your opinion on it. I know a lot of analysts would answer back. Like I would, I've answered maybe not as much anymore, but I, like I'll eventually I'll go through like all my requests and at least try and get an answer back to people. Um, I think that also, if you can get your name in the scene somehow that some of the top analysts like will know recognize your name or the recruiters and then whenever a job opening does open and you apply then like you, that person probably remembers three years ago you messaged them um so even reaching out and them getting an getting an opinion on your work could help you in the future once you know job opening applies and once you apply um so yeah that's how i would network Fertilance, I hope we got that answer as complete as possible. I think there was a lot of things that fell under the umbrella of your question. Also, uh, so, go ahead. Once you, I say once you're on a team as well, like I think in-person networking is always the best. Um, that's why I pitched it in, in at the hotel because I know that would at least last. They can't really just ignore you if like you're in person. Like You just say, hey, they, obviously they're most likely going to say yes if it, here's an obvious need that you guys probably have. Uh, doesn't hurt them at all so try to make it as hard as possible for the person to say no to looking at your work um, but i would wouldn't just reach out with like a resume email say hey i like esports you kind of need to have bring show the person that you're reaching out to that you can are capable um, with like something tangible to the job there we go for the lance all right, Jack, next up, we've got tax evasion. So tax evasion, repeat offender, I think, on just about every show. <clears throat> so tax evasion says in off seasons, like the one we had before spring where TSM is moving around tons of pieces, how does the team stay organized and all that chaos? So that sounds like, like a lot of off season stuff, right? When there's a lot of shuffling going on, a lot of churn, a lot of turnover, a lot of contract. How do you, what do you do to stay organized? How do you keep sanity in that? It's gotta be tough. <laughs> it's gotta be tough. I think it, for, we at least as staff, we take off a little bit of time afterwards, but then we recoup, debrief what went good, what went poor during the year. And then Parth, the GM, will already be looking at potential players before the tournament starts or the, the, constantly looking for up and coming players. And then we usually have time to go back home and then we'll just do video calls every day going through like what players we're trying to, what players we should be looking at, what are the roster iterations we need to look at. Um, then we interview the candidates we're looking at primarily. 
And then once we narrow it down, then we do player analysis on those players to actually get a who we actually think is in-game better. Um, so that's kind of how we do it. How do I stay sane um, during the offseason? I just go back to Houston, go see friends from college or family. And I try and not look at the computer for like a good amount of time. Like after we lost in spring, I didn't turn on my computer for 14 days. I just used my phone for Discord because we had like time off. So, because like the, you during playoffs and during towards the end of the year, you're really ramping up and trying to peak. So you really need your debriefing, like just relax time. Yeah. So I, I want to emphasize that for everyone because <clears throat> there, no doubt, you've talked a lot about the immense amount of like hard work that goes into one performing your job and then two getting to even the point in the career that you're at. Uh, guys, unplug people unplug once in a while it, it, it's important you can't be at peak performance at all times you have to yeah. chill out a little bit to get back to that high if anything like the downtime is the most the most important time because you it just if you run at a high rate and try to keep going you're just going to eventually burn out and then if you burn out then you're just going to take you months and months to like recoup um so i think actually pacing yourself is something i've learned over the years um especially from the beginning, like the first couple of years when I was like 20, 21 trying to break in, I really pushed it, but my work-life balance was completely thrown off. But as I've, now I'm 25 now, I think I've got a better pace on it. So um, I think it's pretty important. You heard it. You heard it. Everyone heard it. Can't emphasize that enough. Hustle, but find balance. Find balance and take care of yourself. Uh, Jack, we've got Ferdilance coming back and Ferdilance keeps him going with a lot of really cool questions. So, uh, Ferdilance shout out. These are great. So, uh, this next one is what are some of the best resources to learn league from? So let's, I think we can take that kind of from like a, a two prong approach. Um, and then where and how did you gain the knowledge you have? So if we start with the first chunk of the question, what are the best sources to learn league from? So let's take that to one. We'll take it from a new player perspective and two, from anyone trying to gain like a higher level of knowledge, right? Like like a gold player who really wants to understand a competitive scene a lot better. Uh, best, we'll take it from both sides. Best resources. Uh, this is a complex question too. I would say there's a lot of content creators online that you can learn some stuff from. But the main thing I would start doing is think about the game as like, you got to look at the constants in the game. Um, so go watch how I tell people to learn how to scout or learn how to research what teams are working on is don't just watch the lck as like uh, a viewing experience and watch like a x team play x team like play x team like you need to watch the same team and the same vods over like a four week span and see what they actually improved on over that time frame or what they actually worked on or at least they tried to work on and then you can kind of start understanding how teams operate and how to like how how to how teams tendencies are actually working and then other resources to learn just mainly all, there's a lot of stuff online these days you can probably look up just like certain matchups being played like korean solo queue matchups or that's all available on youtube for the most part but then yeah if you're trying to learn how to scout it would be mainly just watch a specific team from a region and watch over like a nine week span or an eight week span and then see what they actually improved on. Um, and then also how I got started, what I, well, the first thing I did whenever I got into league was I looked at what is the constant of the game? The map is the constant. So I broke the map up into zones 
of like, okay, this zone is better for this type of composition. This zone is better for this type. Um, because that that's what I did, and the, and how that affects like visions and other fundamental that probably everyone should know about by now. I, like warding is important. Like shocker. <laughs> <laughs> so a good piece of homework for an aspiring analyst. Go start it. Uh... We'll st- your roster will start with TSM's week one spring. Watch how they progressed from week one to week two, all the way up to what will be week two of summer. Still at dart diving, or just start last week. Look at what you think they needed to improve on last week and see what happens this week. Would you recommend going as far back as spring or just start this week? You can do it from any time frame. Like it can be like from last season, like a last season games and just go watch as they progress. There's going to, you don't really want to watch the best teams that are just really good right off the back. You kind of want to watch a team that had like a rate of improvement. Um, that's at least what I did when I first started, because I started out as a research analyst and a data analyst. Um, and the research analyst, all I did was mainly just watch the LPL or LCK. I was assigned to region. And then I just basically create reports uh, and then used contextual stats to back it up. Back up my hypotheses. So it's a mix of like watching the games and then also using their like useful statistics. Perfect. I think I think you got both parts of that question pretty perfectly with that one. So Fertilance, I uh, hope Jack was able to capture everything you're looking for. Uh, next, Jack, we have another voice caller. So it looks like Dorwe is joining us in the voice chat. Dorwe, thanks for coming on. Hello. Um, yeah, I'm Dorwe, and I actually had one question. So I'll just preface it by saying, when working as part of the coaching staff, there's a lot of content to consume, especially with how fast the game moves in terms of like patches, and the meta, how detrimental is it to bring on more staff to help wade through all that information? Does it turn into a case of where it's like too many cooks mm. in the kitchen, or is it like where you guys aren't finding quality person mm. to help think, you go through that information? I think it's a it's that's a you're you're one correct that the the knowledge gap in esports is still relatively low. It's not really there's not it's not spread out like quality mm-hmm. staff members because there's no like training or official way to get into it. Mm-hmm. You usually just have to be self-driven and know what what works but i think one thing when you assemble a staff is the main thing i look for is counterbalancing the staff members so soren will have his own strengths curry will have his, his own strengths i'll have my own strengths and then hatham will have his own strengths so we each have our own individual roles that will counterbalance the other's weaknesses so we're not really overlapping um because I, I like yeah that's that would be my answer so i think that that really comes down to staff assembly which i think a lot of organizations not to give it call anyone out but do it pretty poorly but that's the main thing i think counterbalancing your staff with complementary pieces is the most important so if there I is have like it's really like for example like for draft i don't really discuss draft that much like i'll be give my opinions to soren and curry like hey i think this is obviously best for our team but i try to just mm-hmm. leave that to soren and curry and the players because that's a seven person thing um so i think it is also on the individuals and the staff to um, know their role and just trying to be the best at their role. So. Um, may I ask a follow-up question to that then? Go for it. By all means. Okay. Um, I've asked Parth like something similar to this before, and he said like especially when it comes to the world stage, um, like on season is different from going to worlds just because you're facing off into like ten different teams and ten different ways that they play the game, which is different from like playing this playing against teams who play a similar style like every single week right um and he said one of the hardest problems was adaptability 
And I was wondering if like you guys ever considered like having more just like people willing to help out go through all that information to like, you know, help you guys reach different mm. ideas or theories or like theory craft even more. From our experience, it doesn't, it, the problem again is just like, we're, I think TSM and any organization will bring on anyone that is qualified to work with the players, but you really want to keep your, your staff interaction with the players to a limited number of people because um, just to build continuity within building a team. Mm. So generally you want to find someone that can do multiple roles. Like if you want to hire an analyst, that's also a translator or I do scouting and strategic that analyst is his own thing. Curry is like player relations, but also has been a head coach. So we he can help Soren and helps the draft. And then Soren, obviously ex player knows a lot about the game. So I think a lot of ex player, ex really good player, not just an ex player. Um, so I think a lot of it is just counterbalancing um, the strengths, but also having multiple strengths within one coaching staff. But I do agree. There are sometimes, I think when you go to international events, like I've been to MSI twice worlds, like multiple times. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, the preparation role becomes more important at those events, because obviously you need it. There's a lot of opponents and there's a lot of legwork yes. that goes into it beforehand. That's like the, that's like what the people that do the scouting, like that's what you ideally hope for. Cause like no one, you want to play against the best competition, but then that also, you can't have like players coaching the team. You need to actually have their roles set in stone because once you're going up against these other world-class teams, they have you need, each person in those roles need to be very efficient at their jobs. They need to be, they need to focus on their individual role because you're versing people that are very good at the game and they get paid a lot of money as well. Um, like these players so like yeah thank you so much um i think that like fully answered my question thanks for joining dory really appreciate it mm -hmm. thank yep. you so much thanks all right so uh jack we're gonna get ready to round this out so we are coming up on our final two questions uh, so i appreciate you hanging for the for the full hour uh yep. next we've got uh kokak i really hope i'm saying that right um they say what what do you think is making the lcs a weaker region right now when compared to the lec lck and lpl um complex topic obviously <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> first first of all being the player base is obviously a major issue um because it's just it's just simple mathematics and like if you have a larger population, the top of the curve is going to have more top 1% people because there's a larger pool of people. The second being obviously geographic North America is just way bigger than these other regions more say, like more or less. Uh, Europe's the closest, but most, but the most professional players play from Berlin and the servers in Amsterdam. So it's like 20 ping, 30 ping, but because Berlin internet, not because the distance. Um, and then I would say, I don't think the NA is that far behind EU. I just think EU has had super teams at the top that have boosted the region's overall standing. Um, like G2, Fnatic, like these orgs have really elevated the region. And then they had regional leagues that also helped. Like, whereas, like, the that's why Europe has done relatively well is because the regional leagues provided a semi-professional avenue for players to come right out of high school and go into that instead of college. So I think a lot of it is the infrastructure of how the U.S. is run as well, where now there's a collegiate system, whereas 
and Europe, you just go straight into semi-pro um, initially. That's also why in, in the U.S. there's a bigger sporting culture, though, because people have generational fandom with um, colleges. The other, for in terms of the East, I think China has just a, like, exponential amount of players. Like, that's like an outlier. That's like their main sport over there. And then for Korea, Korea has been in Korea, South Korea has been doing esports for 20 years. So they had a big head start on this as well. And then also the ping, the ping just affects it a lot. Um, so it's a lot of, it's a lot of things, I think, um, that make the region do worse. Not that NA can't do well. It's just, uh, it's a little bit more challenging because also with the whole COVID thing, you have to understand the Western teams haven't been able to boot camp for these international events to improve you're literally just thrown straight into a quarantine and then into the tournament whereas like in the past worlds that all the western teams have done really well there has been a boot camp for a month in korea before going into the tournament so these none of these teams have been able to leave their confined region for a year and a half now um even in between like spring and summer i bet all the lcs teams or most of them would have gone to korea to boot camp or they did in the past, and that just hasn't been allowed for a while. So I think that might be the reason for a little bit of drop in performance in the past two years that I don't think anyone has ever talked about. Um, so yeah, I think it's solo queue, geographical, and um, the travel restrictions, I think it's caused the recent drop in performance. Though... Oh, oh God, sorry. It, yeah. Yeah, I actually, actually, I think that's it. I think that's the main, the main three. So is it overcomable, right? Is the gap too big? It sounds like you don't think there's a big gap between, or not a massive gap between us and Europe, right? Where they've seen, they've been seen largely by the community, like a powerful Titan region. I, I know in the past you've commented on that, but. I think Europe is obviously better than, on average, better than North America. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of like team, like team, team building, I think they keep, the the players are more outspoken and it, it's a lot more player management i think in europe and i think obviously i think it's more so bolstered by the the super teams like the transcendent teams like g2 that 2018 fanatic team i think those those results have really inflated the overall perception of this gap like i i don't think Maybe like this, these years, like the recent years, it's not as been, but I don't think the gap is like insurmountable by any means if you train and assemble the right staff and players. But I, I do hope boot camps can come back because you do have to play a little bit of catch up when you go play against these Eastern teams because they just have a, they, the LPL teams can practice versus the Korean teams if like they're in playoffs and they don't want to practice versus the other LPL teams, they can just practice versus the top Korean teams. Whereas the closest thing we can do to that is practice against like an LLN team, like rainbow seven or someone like, so it isn't comparable again, geographic. Sure. Awesome. Well, Jack, uh, we're going to go ahead and round out our hour here with the final question. Uh, so Crocodillion, they ask, what is your honest opinion on the current health of the league of legends, esports scene? Also, are there any other esports scenes that you have any interest or, uh, admiration for? I really liked CSGO, mainly because they did an international circuit. I'll answer the second question first. I think, I think it, this will also carry on the year. If there was any sort of international circuit, I don't think the gap would be that large. I just think because we're confined to the region, 
the gap grows off that. Um, I like CSGO's international circuit. I think the way Valorant's doing it is very similar to that. Mm. I've I always grew up liking Call of Duty, and I like the I like I, I like the FPS games and how they're a little bit more exciting because they're just more on edge. In terms of the first question, what was what was the first question? I'm sorry. I just yeah, absolutely. No problem. No problem. So the first question was, what's your honest opinion for the current health of the League of Legends esports scene? The current health of the League of Legends esports scene. Mm. Complex question again. They haven't kept it easy on you tonight. That's for sure. I think the organizations have different. They value winning differently in each organization. Some organizations view the slot, and they think it's going to naturally mature and gain value over the years. Some organizations want to win now to maximize their brand value. So once the league does mature, then they will be the premier teams in that said um, position. In terms of the health of the environment, I think it's a little, I think the stability of the organizations and any entertainment got thrown off a little bit because of COVID. So in terms of the overall health of the entertainment industry as a whole, even sporting franchises is on shaky ground. But I think <laughs> esports is, it should be in a fine state, I would say, and give it a couple of years. It might be in like a small bubble right now and it'll go down, but. I think it'll eventually spring back up once events come out. Events start rolling out, and then may, I, I hopefully an exclusive broadcasting rights deal eventually comes out, but that's not me to answer. Um, that would make logical sense from my angle, but oh. yeah. Perfect, Jack. Really appreciate it. Uh, Crocodilian, appreciate you closing us out with that question. Uh, so everyone, thank you so much for attending. There was a ton of involvement from the community on this one. Uh, appreciate you keeping it nice and busy and a really great flow. And thanks to all the callers who made it a chance to, to jump on and, and talk with Jack. A really awesome opportunity that TSMU is uh, able to provide everyone. So thanks everyone for the participation. Jack, Really appreciate you spending the hour. Yep. Uh, really appreciate you making yourself an available resource for the TSMU community. Um, and, and, and like I said, thanks so much for the time and the, and the valuable insight. You put a ton of thought into a lot of those. Uh, it was awesome to get a chance to speak with you as well as a fan. So again, very much appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Mark. It was fun. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, well, everyone, just as a reminder, we do uh, have another Q&A coming up on June 16th at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. This one was with an awesome guest, very near and dear to my heart, Sky Bowie. Uh, do not miss this Q&A. It will be an awesome time. Uh, do be sure you are following uh, all TSMU on all social platforms, so Twitter. Make sure you're involved in the uh, TSMU Discord, so discord.gg slash TSMU. There's tons of awesome community events. I think last night there was a Valorant game night. Uh, there's League of Legends game nights, Among Us game nights. There's a great community for everyone to be involved in. Find your, Get started with that networking uh, and get tapped into a phenomenal amount of resources that TSM is making available to everyone completely for free. Uh, so just a reminder, make sure you're joining that community and dropping in and saying hello. And Jack, thanks again. Uh, and have a good night, everyone. All right, you guys have a good one.